Christian Bale channels Gore the God Butcher in the next installment of Marvel's Thor, Love, and Thunder as we take a look at the warped God-hater who invented the character and how he has used his comics to turn people away from God and towards an acceptance of villainy. Stay with us as we look at these and other stories on the 511 News. Welcome back to the 511 News. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And on today's episode, we're going to be looking at the most recent trailer that has dropped from Marvel, specifically this new one regarding Thor. And really, he's not, hopefully you guys know, as a false god and portraying a false god, that we would look at that and repudiate something like that as a believer. But nonetheless, this new movie seems to be really packing a punch, not only through the worship of false gods and idolatry and so forth that so many people find no problem doing, but also when we look at not only the character Gore the God Butcher, who is going to be the main villain in the upcoming film, but also we take a look specifically at the man who invented Gore the God Butcher and some of his background. But before we do, we do want to bring up something that did recently take place as at least 22 different people have lost their lives there in Texas at Robb Elementary after an 18-year-old coward went and murdered not only, or at least shot his grandmother and then went to murder children. And we have some brothers and sisters in Christ there in Texas, not too far from San Antonio. And we I even got a text this morning from a brother in Christ that said, hey, one of the sisters that comes to fellowship here at our Blessed Hope Texas spot in Bolverde, that she actually was at a hospital and working where one of the victims actually came into. So, but guys, please, please keep them in prayer. Pray that God, even when these things look terrible, these are horrible, it's disgusting, it's from Satan without a doubt. When we see these things, let's also make sure that we continue to pray for those involved and pray for those Think about these young children, and it's something that's been going through my head, and I've been trying to pray about these young children that will survive that event that took place in their life, those young children that survived, and maybe some of the guilt that takes place from people who actually survive such an event when so many of their classmates have perished, and sadly enough, the guilt that they'll have going forward. Pray that God will take that from them. Pray that they will turn to Him put their faith in him and trust in him. And Lord, please, just please, we pray for any brothers and sisters that have been touched by this and have been hurt by this and the lost and dying world that is trying to find other means and using this as a time for political gain or whatever nonsense they're trying to pull and thinking that if we just continue to add laws and so forth, that will make everything better. And that is not the case. We need people to come to Jesus Christ You get saved, you aren't a murderer because no murderer has eternal life in them. But know that there's hope in the gospel. And it's very interesting because I want to go back to this new movie that is coming out because this is going to be seen all over by millions of people. Many professing Christians are going to go. And what so many people do not realize is the subverting that is going on from the very writers who put it together, even the actors, and ultimately the prince of the power of the air who is working through these sons of disobedience 
to once again, over and over, continue to put doubt in the minds of young people or anyone that's watching it when it comes to your prayers and you seeking after the one true God. Over and over again, there are these little kernels, there are these little nuggets, and a just overall understanding that so many of these writers, just as Joss Whedon, who directed uh, Avengers, Avengers Age of Ultron, wrote also for some of the DC movies as well, like Justice League, that this guy sat up before the Human Society and talked about what are some ways, after receiving an award from them, what are some ways that we can actually put our moral structure out there without going to the sky bully? If we actually want to have a foothold in American or world society, how do we codify our moral structure without the sky bully looking down on us, telling us what we're supposed to do. Gerard Way, while he sat next to Grant Morrison, one of the greatest writers, if you look at any comic book aficionado, any page can tell you Grant Morrison is the one of the best comic book writers who is an absolute follower of Lester Crowley. And Gerard Way stood up there and said that now pop culture and really the comics that they are now the new moral compass where people are looking for, especially young people, are looking to gather their courage and their moral codes, and that really they have a power that they wield. And what a power they wield, and really it's like an ongoing series of the Bible. Some amazing uh, question, or just for all of us, really popped in my head that day as being fans or creators and artists and creative people that make comics and make movies and make all sorts of things. So, you know, when he was saying that um, um, we look to these superheroes to, to, to get our, our, our moral code and our integrity and our courage, we actually use them as a basis. And then it made me think, well, if, if that's the case, and it actually is, like pop culture is actually the new mythology. So um, if that's the case, like what a crazy power that any of us wield. Um, I had described it to him as it's almost like you're doing an ongoing series of the Bible that people are like getting this moral code from. And through these comics, these humanists, atheists, and God haters, and really mouthiest when we talk about it today, are ultimately pushing narratives that will put doubt into your heads, doubt into young people's heads over and over again as Satan continues to use them to attack the mind. And we need to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And that's exactly why Good Fight Ministries, that's why we've come out with the seven-part series on Marvel and DC's War on God, because ultimately that is what it is. And when we look at the next installment, Being Thor's Love and Thunder, know that what is coming this way, they're not just taking an Oscar winner to be a supervillain for an accident. They're not just going to use him in this role and just have a quick little spot of this God butcher because he is coming to be a major figure. And I want to give a little of the background, but before we talk about who the God butcher is in this next film and ultimately the run that he has inside of the Thor comics since 2013, I want to take a look at Jason Aaron. Because one of the things that Jason Aaron, the writer and inventor of the character Gore, the God Butcher, one of the things that he has been, I guess, acclaimed for by those who write on comics and so forth and enjoy his work is his way 
of making an audience or somebody reading the material to be endeared towards the very villain that they are watching. In fact, in one review, this is what it states, quote, one thing Jason Aaron never seems to get enough credit for is how he portrays supervillains. Even slashers like Jason Voorhees seem like better people with Aaron. In Friday the 13th, How I Spent My Summer Vacation, Voorhees takes pity on a boy with deformities like his. So one of the things that he has done a excellent job for the enemy on is taking these different characters and putting a backstory to them or personifying that backstory all the more so that people can say, yeah, that's why they're bad. Not decisions to be murderous or whatever it may be, but that's why they are bad. And so he's done a great job at this. And I think with looking at Gore the God Butcher, he's never done a better job than endearing people to say, yeah, I understand why Gore would hate all the gods. It's very interesting. But who is Aaron? Ultimately, who is Jason Aaron when it comes to his upbringing? Because Jason Aaron is from Arkansas, from the Bible Belt, and he grew up in the Southern Baptist tradition. And so Jason Aaron now, honestly, hates that tradition that he grew up with and now comes against it over and over in a number of comics that he has come out with. And I want to read a couple of the ways he's done this. Quote, Aaron is a firm believer of defying fate by going against higher beliefs. Some are more literal, such as Aaron's Wolverine backup story script for a contest that reappears in the Logan Files. Logan, the Byronic hero, doesn't believe he's a good man just for changing a woman's tire. The woman suggests he start praying only for the woman to immediately get gunned down by Logan's pursuers. That screams Aaron turning away from his Baptist roots. Because at the end of the day, what good is having faith if you only believe it will get better? That might actually be why there are so many ghost riders riding around in a notable run. In this Marvel Grindhouse special, Johnny fights new enemies in the form of heaven. Yeah, it's a ham-fisted spectacle of Aaron flipping the bird against his Baptist roots. But there's more. It asks people to think and doubt. If angels are the ones who always win, doesn't that make them more threatening than demons? They did try to recruit the Punisher. And now what he has done over and over again to quote-unquote flip the bird to his Baptist roots is help to create doubt and really making a polemic against the one true God only to paint it as a polemic against a number of the false gods that are in the Marvel Universe. And Gore the God Butcher is another example of this. And so I want to give a little of the background so you guys know exactly who Christian Bale is going to be playing. Gore himself, with his background that Aaron has decided to write, he actually grew up in a terrible situation. Gore, in his planet, apparently has a lack of resources and a number of predators that come, and he has watched his own mother be killed and his wife, who was pregnant at the time, fall down and die alongside the baby. 
According to the comics, Gore is a part of a community that is quite religious. They pray to the gods. His mom prayed to the gods over and over and told him, basically, this is how we get our resources. But with resources being so scarce and bad things happening over and over, he starts to believe that there are no gods. There absolutely are no gods because if they were really here, they would help us. And when all these bad things take place in Gore's life, He eventually goes before basically the religious community there at his hometown and they throw him out. They kick him out. And while he's out by himself, out in yonder, he comes upon two fighting gods. Now, one of those gods ends up being the god Noel, who actually gave birth to what is called the All Black. And this would be where he takes a handle of the Necro Sword that was made by Noel, who did create that all black, which is supposed to be a personification of evil. And so, when this is supposed to embody evil, this now becomes part of Gore. Now, Gore has no superpowers in of his own. He's not a god, but then he himself, infused with the all black, infused from Noel having a great fall, and then him taking his power sounds kind of eerie, then goes forth and says, I am going to kill all gods. Now, why is this important for the new movie? Well, this is the guy that Christian Bale is playing. And in fact, if you go and watch the trailer, you will see this quote, quote, this is is one of Christian Bale's only lines in the trailer. The only ones who gods care about is themselves. So this is my vow. All gods will die. And not only do we see this in the trailer, but also there's something that takes place in the trailer that as you're watching it, flash up three different cards. In gods, with an S, we trust. So what takes place if you're going to watch this film is that you become endeared not only to Gore's position, but then you do come to a place, obviously, that you're rooting for Thor, the hero in the story. So now you are rooting for a false god to to be able to finish off or kill this god butcher, and ultimately you start rooting for false gods to kill one another because Gore himself, in the comics at least, becomes so powerful that his own wife begins to worship him. And then because she begins to worship him, he kills her and their own son turns away from him over to Thor and begins praying to Thor. And then when Gore creates what's called the God Bomb that will kill all gods and it begins to kill the other gods, the other gods that are scared begin to pray to Thor and those prayers are what ultimately give Thor the power to kill Gore, the God Butcher. But if you wanted a Christ parallel that they throw in, after Gore is killed, he is resurrected three days later. Now, we say all of this for a number of reasons. One, we can see quite clearly that the very inventor of this supervillain is someone who hates God and someone who continually tries to put doubt in people's minds. And he will use what in philosophy is called divine hiddenness as an argument against God. And I believe 
that the entire character of Gore the God Butcher is a polemic against Christianity from an angry Malthus because the very character himself becomes an atheist and then by evidence starts to believe that there are gods and then becomes a Malthus who hates all gods and wants them all dead. And truth be told, so many people are told, if I just had some more evidence, if I just have this, if I just had that, that's an argument I hear all the time sharing the gospel on the streets from different atheists and so forth. And the truth is, when we look at the actual historical record of, for example, Israel with Moses, we see quite clearly that watching God do miracles, watching God give you manna and part the Red Sea and save you from Egypt, can still have people's hearts turn and say, don't you miss the garlic and onions that we had back there in Egypt, even though we were enslaved? And God was not simply after a people that he could rule over. He could have made a people that he could rule over, and that would have been no problem. What he wanted was a relationship with people. In fact, I believe that's what Jesus is expressing to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, when he specifically says that God is looking for those on the earth that will worship him in spirit and in truth. The fact is, is that God is so clear in his word that that is God speaking to us. It's better, according to Peter, who walked alongside Jesus, witnessed the power of his resurrection, witnessed not only the the majesty of the transfiguration, where he heard God the Father speak and was told, this is my beloved son, listen to him, That same Peter tells me that the word of God that I have is more necessary, is more important, and it's more sure than even cloud writing. It's more sure than God speaking from the clouds. And in fact, Jesus addresses this specific divine hiddenness. He addresses it in Luke 16, and not in the sense that, oh, well, God is this and God is that, but he addresses it in the sense of people going, please go. This is the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. And you have the rich man crying out to Abraham and Abraham, please go to my family. Tell them, I don't want them to end up here in Hades. I don't want them here. Please go and tell them. And he says, they have Moses and the prophets. If they do not believe Moses and the prophets, which is the word of God, then they will not even believe if somebody raises from the dead. And what would Jesus go on to do? Jesus would go on to be raised from the dead. And God actually tells us over and over again that if we would seek him, we would find him. And Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And that's in the context of, of Israel about to go into Babylonian captivity. But ultimately, if they come to him, they're going to find him. In Proverbs chapter two, verses one through five, when it specifically talks about the wisdom of God and going after it and seeking after the wisdom of God, it says this quite clearly. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding, For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover 
the knowledge of God. He is looking for people who will actually seek after him. He is looking for people who will actually come to him. And what we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that just because something happens before someone, just because somebody sees something, doesn't mean that they will believe in. It simply means they will believe that. And guess what? A lot of times they become blind and short-sighted and forget the very things that they saw with their own eyes. But that is not what God wants. God wants a true relationship with you, that his Holy Spirit would come and reside in you, that you would know him, that you would come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, and it would be powerful. In Philippians 1, 21 through 26, it says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. And you think about this. Paul had a relationship with Jesus Christ. He came to him on the road to Damascus. And when he did, that changed his life forever, ultimately his eternal life. But he came to a place where he longed to be with Jesus, knowing it would be very much better to die because to live, all right, is not as good than to die in Christ where he would find his gain. And he would long to be with Jesus. And I think that all of us need to come to a place where we long to be with Jesus. And I do not believe you're supposed to find all fulfillment right here on this earth. You are supposed to have contentment in trusting who Jesus is, which Paul will go on to talk about in Philippians chapter 4. But With that contentment, there is a longing, knowing that we are seeing through a glass darkly, but one day we will know as we are known, that one day our faith will eventually be sight, without a doubt. And I believe we are supposed to long as the bride of Christ for our bridegroom. Why do we not get to see him face to face and hold him face to face? And this isn't just us crying this out. Guys, that redemption is being cried out in the book of Revelation. We see it so clearly. Not only the being redeemed and being getting to be with Jesus for all eternity, the culmination of our faith, but you also have the longing for the judgment that is going to happen. And I believe when it comes to the very judgment that is going to come, Our hearts that want to be with Jesus forever need to be in the place that Paul's was. It would be very much better to be with Jesus without a doubt, but it's better for the people around us as believers that we would stay here to minister to them and for them to minister to us so that we could bring more people to Christ. 2 Peter 3, verse 9 says that God is not slow concerning his promise, but he's patient, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. When it comes to that verse, I think all the time, thank you for being patient and not slow, God. Thank you for being so patient that you didn't come on January 18th, 2009, before I came to know you. Thank you so much, and I hope and I know that you have someone right now in your life 
that you're praising God. He hasn't come back just yet because I'm sure you might have a brother or a sister or a cousin or a friend or a neighbor or an enemy that you'd love to see come to Christ and praise God that he hasn't come back yet because their time would be done. And ultimately, we should be crying out for him and waiting for him and longing for him. And I believe without a doubt, as sojourners here on earth, as resident aliens here on this planet, longing for our ultimate home that Jesus said in John chapter 14 that he went to prepare for us, I believe that if we long as the bride does for the bridegroom in Song of Solomon, and I really believe that if you look at that book, understanding the bride and bride, the bride and bridegroom dynamic that we have with Christ, especially when you get into the book of Revelation, the marriage supper of the Lamb, all the things that we have promised, the fact that Revelation 21 says that that God will wipe away every tear. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more pain. None of it. It's all gone. And recognize that we are supposed to have that longing and that longing, and it sounds crazy. It's like when Paul talks about he's sorrowful yet always rejoicing, that longing to see Jesus face to face and be with him and the contentment of where we are in Christ and what we can do for his kingdom while we're here. But I think of this verse in Song of Solomon chapter three. It says, On my bed, night after night, I sought him, whom my soul loves. I sought him, but did not find him. I must arise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I must seek him, whom my soul loves. I sought him, but did not find him. The watchmen who make the rounds in the city found me and said, Have you seen him, whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I left them when I found him, whom my soul loves. I held on to him. And would not let him go until I had brought him to my mother's house and into the room of her who conceived me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the hinds of the field, that you will not arouse or awaken my love until she pleases. There is a culmination to our faith. There is a time where we get to be with Jesus forever. But why you have this time right now, do not waste it. Please don't waste it on things like Thor. Please don't waste it while people hate God and are writing these films and are writing these things about him. Do not be someone who is in direct disobedience with Psalm chapter one that tells you if you meditate on God's word day and night, you'll be like the tree planted against the water that bears fruit in its seasons. And if you do not, if you are the person that sits in the seat of scoffers, that's completely okay with people mocking God and making entire films to do so and making entire polemics against the one true God and you sit in the seat of scoffers, I'm sorry, I'm warning you, this can happen to you. You could be like the chaff that is broken on when the wind comes by. You could be like the chaff that is broken off when the winds come by. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for anyone. And while you have the time, redeem the time for the days are evil. And let's make sure every thought we have is brought captive to the obedience of Christ and we grow closer to him. This is Chad Davidson. And this is the 511 News. The 511 News with Chad Davidson has been brought to you by Good Fight Ministries, bringing you news and commentary from a Christian perspective. This show can be heard every Friday wherever podcast shows are available or visit 511news.org. Thank you for joining us and we look forward to being with you next week on the 511 News.